Good morning, everybody, and happy 4th of July. It's a great weekend. I hope you're having a fantastic weekend, getting a lot of good time with family and barbecuing and uh, just just a good celebration time. The 4th of July, everybody loves 4th of July weekend. It's a great weekend. Um, it's a little bit different for me. I'm preaching from a seated position, which I'm not used to preaching from a seated position, but we had to uh, f- we had to record some of the sermons and lessons and classes in advance because uh, Turnwell's in Alaska right now, and um, so we we recorded them early. And we're in the Metro Vision Studio Number One, which is seated, not standing. So, anyways, um, you're probably seated watching me. So let's just pretend we're all sitting here together, having a good talk for the scriptures. Um, so it's the Fourth of July. And I thought I brought, I would bring up this and read it because it's a good introduction to our sermon. So we celebrate the freedom of our country. We celebrate the Declaration of Independence from England, uh, which, by the way, did you know that over 70% of the world celebrates their freedom, their independence from England? That shows you how big they were at one time. But uh, anyways, um, so the Declaration of Independence begins with these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We hold these words sacred. I mean, they're about as close to scripture as you can get without being in the Bible. Uh, they are quoted often, and probably more more people know this paragraph than in any paragraph in the Bible. It's that well known, and pretty much most of the marches and protests on any political spectrum are somehow holding this up as a principle or fighting for this, saying we should be able to do whatever we're fighting for or protesting for or advocating based on these words. They're very powerful words. I mean, they're brilliant words, really, way before their time. And and so many uh, declarations of independence and constitutions and uh, from other countries have very similar wording. A lot of countries have looked to this document as a pattern and as, as a model because what this document intended to do is very profound to create a nation unlike all the older nations with kings and queens and and aristocracy and and social levels the idea was to create a country where all men and women are recognized as created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, justice, fairness, the things we've been talking about. So it's a great, it's a great um, introduction uh, to this topic and a great time to get into this. So the topic today is Jesus and social justice. Now, some of you might say, well, Robert, didn't you just do a bunch of devotionals on that? Yeah, but not enough people watch those. So I moved this in, I'm moving this one up to Sunday morning because uh, we've been doing a series on Jesus and I think Jesus and social justice 
is incredibly important. And it is one of the questions. There are many questions right now that are very important about what we're going through and how we're evolving spiritually as a church, particularly in regard, particularly in regard to racial justice and social justice. And social justice is right behind the first topic has been, and rightly so, racial justice. But right behind and attached to that is social justice. It's a huge topic in the Bible. It's a huge topic to God. It is a major part of God's theology, of the theology of God. And the truth is, it's an area that we're relatively ignorant of. We're relatively in the dark about this. We don't have a long tradition in our church of discussions on this or study on this or, or, I mean, there, I don't, I don't know that anybody's even written a book on this in our fellowship. Now, there are many books on this in other fellowships. Uh, churches like the Catholic Church have been wrestling with justice for over a thousand years and, and fairness and, and social justice. And there's been a, there's a whole history. And other churches, different churches that have really dived into social justice. So, but there's a lot of misteaching out there too. A lot of things that I hear that uh, that's not biblical, uh, that's not biblical. And so this isn't going to be the end all and cover everything. I did three lessons of this and I didn't even cover half of my material. And, but I want to just, uh, have at least one chance that we're Sunday morning, we're all listening, and we hear some of the basics about Jesus and social justice. Because I bet a lot of people didn't even think Jesus had anything to do with social justice, when in fact, he really did. Now, I know some are thinking, wait, I don't see social justice in the Bible. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. So the key word, the the, the main word we're dealing with is mispot. And uh, Mispot is this. This is a good definition. This is from a commentary. Uh, I think it's the World Bible Commentary. Biblical references to the word justice means to make right. Justice is first and foremost a relational term. Now, there's the kind of justice that is like what we think of as criminal justice, where somebody receives punishment for wrongdoing or evildoing. But even in that, what is behind that is that things be treated or handled fairly and correctly, that the punishment be according to the crime, not out of whack, not, well, I don't like those people, so I'm going to punish them twice as much as these people, which is exactly what's going on. Um, so biblical reference to the word justice means to make right. Justice is first and foremost a relational term. It's to make relationships right, to make our relationship with God right, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our friends, our relationship with our community, our relationships with each other to be right, to make those right. People living in right relationship with God, one another, and the natural creation. Oh, we even include, we would even include the earth in this because there were commands in the Bible about us taking care of the earth as well. We can be wrong with the earth and we can be right with the earth. Um, from a scriptural point of view, justice means lo- loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and is rooted in the character and the nature of God. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and live in love. Uh, it's a good little definition. You'll see if you wonder, well, how do we know that's correct? Watch. We're going to read a bunch of scriptures on it. Um, Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, 
correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Now, first thing I want to point out about this verse, this scripture, and there are many, many more. Um, and we're only going to touch on a few because we don't have time to touch on them all. If you want more, then go, go look at the three devotionals we did on it. And if you want more, I got more references. But he says here, learn to do good. Seek justice. What does it seek justice? What, what does that mean? Try to make things fair all the time. Try to be right about things all the time. Be fair. Fairness is a huge thing for our society. And as I've shared in the, in the devotionals, it's pre-installed software. We are born with a sense of fairness. Just try to be unfair to a four-year-old and watch how that four-year-old reacts. You know, if you give two four-year-olds, one a big candy, one a little candy, and see what happens. It's instinctual. It's built in. It's pre-installed software. Hey, that's not fair. That's It's very deep inside us. Seek that justice. Seek to be fair. Correct oppression. If we see somebody oppressing somebody, we're supposed to correct it. We're supposed to say, hey, wait a second. That's wrong. Don't do that. If we see some big kid bullying a little kid, we're not supposed to just walk by and ignore it. We're supposed to say, hey, hey, don't do that. That's not right. You're a big kid. Back off. Or if we see some guy abusing a woman, we don't just pretend we don't see it and ignore it. We say, hey, buddy, wait a second. What are you doing? We're supposed to be the ones to get involved. Now expand that socially when we see injustice out there, when we see wrongs. He says, bring justice to the fatherless. I mean, how much, how many issues in our world are because kids not having a parent to guide them, whether they're orphans or or they don't have their dads around to help them? I mean, what is the percentage in many tough situations when kids don't have direction, a father figure, whether it's their real father or not, they're susceptible to so many other influences, everything from gangs to terrorist groups around the world. And God, he's awesome. He's always thinking about the kids. Uh, Bring justice to the fatherless. Make sure you think about those kids. Keep them safe and healthy. Keep them out of bad influence. And plead the widow's cause. You know, the ones that, truthfully, most of the world just forgets and just doesn't think of. And But God thinks of them. And God is always aware. And this is part of who God is. He's the God who thinks about the forgotten, who, who, who listens to the voiceless, who cares about the powerless. That's who he is. The, the idea of misbot, or, or that's a Hebrew term for justice. In Greek, it's krisis. We get the word crisis. It's over 130 times. That's a lot. There's a lot of scriptures about justice, about fairness, about things being right. That's part of what the kingdom of God is all about. A place where things are done right where there is equality and no favoritism and no prejudice and no negativity, but it's love is the base. Love is what brings justice, but I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Amos wrote, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. You might recognize that phrase because that's how Martin Luther King ended his famous uh, sermon on, on Lincoln Memorial, right? Let justice roll like a river and righteousness like a mighty stream. Um, that's Amos 5.24. That introduces a new word, righteousness to justice, which is tzedakah, which they, 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 they often come together. They're put together a lot. It's, it's a, again, because it's about being right, right? Being right with God, being right with, with your relationships and making things right. When things are right, there's peace. There's shalom. When things are not right, there is no peace. There is, there is no content. There's no, that when people march angrily, they're marching angrily because things are wrong and they need to be changed. There's no peace. There's no happiness. There's no contentness. Not when things are unjust. That's different than, oh, I'm poor or I don't have as nice a car or to, we learn to be content in those situations. But when things are not just, we're supposed to speak up. We're supposed to make it right, right? Get it right. So if you got misfat, which is justice, and sadaka, which is righteousness, about being right with people and right with situations, that's basically what social justice is. Now, you will hear and you will see, I was checking out all the videos and all the, on YouTube about social justice, and most of them are, are basically saying social justice has nothing to do with the Bible. Um, and then about the other, probably 40% of them are showing you how it exactly comes out of the Bible, which is really funny, um, how people perceive things, right? Um, they, these two words go hand in hand. They're together in more than three dozen scriptures. And what they're talking about is our relationships, being right for, with one another and being right with the people, being right with how we treat each other. It's got to be fair and right. What is fair? What is right? Very important to God. Now, if you look at the definition, the standard definition, this is the Oxford English. I mean, that's about as standard as you get. It says, Oxford English Dictionary defines social justice as justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society, but vaguely defines justice as the quality of being fair and reasonable. Okay, all these things we're about to look at a bunch of scriptures on. So, no, you don't find the word social justice in the Bible, but you do see justice applied to society or to social situations a lot. So, you know, you don't see the word Nike or sneakers or Adidas or in the Bible, but that doesn't mean they didn't wear shoes, right? They wore shoes and it's inferred that they wore shoes. This is more than inferred. This is pretty clear how we treat each other. So if you don't want to call it social justice, don't call it social justice, just call it justice. But it's the same thing. So when somebody says, well, social justice isn't in the Bible, they're being correct. But social justice is all over the Bible. And that's correct, if you know what I mean. So there's no there's no tension really between justice and social justice. Now, there are people who've taken social justice and let that develop into what's called the social gospel. And that's basically, that's a whole different animal. That's, that's a gospel that's really centered on helping the poor and suffering. The problem with that 
is that should never be the center. The center should be Jesus. The center should always be God. That's the center. And that will get everything else right. If God is the center, if Jesus, if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, you will help the poor. You will help the oppressed. You will stand up for righteousness and fairness because that's what Jesus did. And, and we'll see that too. But, but we don't make justice the center of our focus. We don't make righteousness the center of our focus. If you make righteousness the focus, you end up with Pharisees, where the most important thing was, is it right? Not, is it right with God? And is this what God wants? And that's where God says things like, or Jesus said to the Pharisees, go find out what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. See, they would much rather sacrifice because that's what was right with the law than be merciful. When in fact, God really wanted them to be merciful. Um, so the laws of justice and mercy, I want you to just listen. This is when God is setting up his people, right? And he's telling them how they're supposed to be. He says, do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or a donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death. For I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe for a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You're, you yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. Okay, this is God telling his people what the rules are. And basically, it's be fair, be just. Don't do wrong. Don't do wrong to your neighbor. You know, you matter how, even if you hate your neighbor, you see his donkey wandering around, go get it and take it to him. Do the right things, basically what he's saying. Do what's fair, even with foreigners. Now, now, and 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 I and I know this. I know that one of the reasons we avoid justice as a topic is because we're afraid of being labeled political. And we all know that you know, as Christians, we should not be out espousing or preaching political messages. We're Christians. We answer to a higher calling. We answer to something greater than politics. And shame on us if we ever allow politics to divide us or to influence how we even interpret the scriptures. And that's a tough thing because it's very, it's much easier to ascribe to a political philosophy than it is to ascribe to the Bible. The Bible is a tougher, higher calling. And that's as disciples what we ascribe to. And he's, he's laying out here. You know, how we should treat you. And, and what, what makes me laugh is that a lot of these issues are political issues. You know, they're, they're also political issues. That's what makes it hard. If you take a stand for righteousness, some will interpret your stand as a political stand. As disciples, our stand should be with God. Our stand should be with Jesus and righteousness and, and justice. And yeah, those are also going to be seen by many as political issues, but we cannot let any political philosophy, whether left or right, to sway us against the Bible. We have to be so spiritual 
that we are first led by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. Secondly, we ascribe, or tertiary, we ascribe to some political philosophy. But I'm a, I fear sometimes for disciples that we get so caught up in a political philosophy, we don't see the scriptures anymore. We don't hear the scriptures anymore. We become ever seeing but never understanding, ever hearing but never perceiving. We don't want that to happen, not to us and not to anybody we care about. Our eyes need to be focused on Jesus. In Amos uh, 5.34, he says, I hate. That's a pretty strong statement to start out with. I hate. I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship of offerings, I have no regard for them. Away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Whoa! I mean, how intense would that be if God said, you know what, I hate your church's service. I hate your singing. I hate your little communion messages. I hate the way that you pass the trays. I hate the way you guys all come in and are hugging each other. Wouldn't that be like shocking? Like, what? We're doing all this for Jesus. But what was the point? They were doing all this religious stuff and not practicing justice and mercy. They weren't doing it. So they're being all religious. And God just says, I don't want anything to do with it. I want nothing to do with your religion. Why? Because it doesn't practice justice. And it doesn't practice righteousness. That's intense. How important that is. Proverbs 31, 8, 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now, you got to understand, these are not, wouldn't it be great if, People spoke up for the mute. Wouldn't that be nice if people helped the poor? No, these are commands. These are imperative statements. These are, these are you go do this. Don't sit there quietly. Open your mouth for those that have no voice. Who has no voice? Children have no voice. Animals have no voice. The environment has no voice. Poor people, even highly educated even very talented, poor people can be voiceless. Open your mouth, he says, for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Here's a question for you. Who's destitute? Who in your country, who in your community is destitute? There are destitute all around us. Open your mouth and judge righteously. Do the right thing. Defend the rights of the poor. Not... Not if you have time, not if your life is easy, not if you're rich and you don't have to worry about yourself. No, he says, everybody, defend the rights of the poor and needy. I mean, those are those are all things to do. And by the way, things that we are held accountable to. I mean, you remember the little story you just told sheep and goats? He's going to ask, what did we do? Did we defend? Did we open our mouth? Did we say anything? Micah 6, 1 through 8, by this, by now you guys all know this one by heart because I use it so much, but it's so foundational. You can't get away from it. He has shown you, immortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. 
the big three. Act justly. Do what is right to others. Practice that justice. Love mercy. Be merciful. You see somebody oppressed. You see somebody being abused. Do something about it. That's what you do when you love, right? That's a we 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 want to separate. We tend to separate stuff out. Love is just cares for people. I mean, think about it with your kids. You don't separate their physical pain from emotional needs, from spiritual needs, from from hunger. If you love your kid, if they're hungry, you feed them. If they're in pain, you give them something. If they're emotionally down, you try to cheer them up. If they, you, you know, and you're always trying to teach them spirituality so they they grow up and become spiritual. Why? Because we love them. We don't say, well, you know, I don't know which one God wants me to do. Maybe he just wants me to do spirituality. So, sorry, kid, I'm not going to feed you. No, we, we, we take care of whatever the needs are. That's the way love is. And if we love people, then we care about them. Period. But these are the found this is this is the foundational stuff here. What is really important to God? Justice, mercy, humility. When Jesus, okay, let's get to we're at Jesus now. When Jesus started his ministry, how did he start it? Look in Luke chapter 4. It says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went in the synagogue. As was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's awesome. That's how he, well, then it says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the tenant and sat down. And actually, I should have had the next sentence in there. It says, he told them, this scripture is fulfilled in your today. Basically told them, this scripture is being fulfilled. How did Jesus introduce himself? These are all social issues. These are all justice issues. Um, proclaiming good news to the poor, that's a social justice issue. Um, helping the blind, uh, setting the oppressed free, uh, proclaiming the year of the Lord's, that's an, that's an economic justice issue. Every seven years, all debts were canceled. The year of the Lord, and they're being set free. These are all social issues. And he's saying, here's the hallmark of my ministry. That's how he introduces himself. And in fact, later on, when John's disciples come to ask him in, in Matthew 11, verse 2, it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and good news is proclaimed to the poor. Social issues, healing, helping, serving, 
They're all issues. They're all justice and social issues, needs of the community. And he said that's what Jesus was doing, was meeting those needs. This is a quote from Jesus and Justice, uh, copyright 2011 from the Salvation Army International Social Justice Commission. I love what they say here. Jesus' life is a demonstration of how to live and love. Jesus incarnated intentional love. He demonstrated willful, purposeful, and creative love. Love for God, self, neighbor, truth, righteousness, and justice. Jesus envisioned what didn't yet exist. He championed freedom from oppression, discrimination, exclusion, iniquity, poverty, sin, and injustice. These are the things that Jesus championed. These are the things. We ask all the time, what would Jesus do, right? That's the the, the classic question in Christianity. Because, Because we're disciples of Jesus, we're all trying to follow him, right? So what would he do? Well, what did he do? He questioned bad systems and norms. Herod, the Pharisees, the teachers, the law, the experts. He challenged social wrong, rich versus poor. He told a lot of stories, banquets, all kinds of stories about the rich reaching out to the poor and creating more equality. He exposed social wrongs, the way Samaritans were treated, Romans, women. He pointed out what was wrong, prejudice towards Samaritans and others, Italians, others, Romans. He challenged corrupt leaders. Man, he rebuked Herod. He said, you go tell that fox. He challenged corrupt leadership. He made right what he could, healing and reaching out and feeding and doing so much. He changed what he could, miracles after miracles after miracles. He loved the unloved, the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor. He advocated for the poor and the impressed and banquets and told all kinds of stories about, you know, don't just invite people who can invite you back. Take care of them. He taught right from wrong all through the Gospels. He was getting, now understand, did Jesus solve world hunger? No. Did Jesus solve all the rights and wrong, I mean, all the wrongs of society? No. Did he overthrow the Roman Empire, who was an occupying army in his country? Nope. Did he overthrow the religious leaders who were teaching bad religion? Nope. What did he do? He did these things. So what should we do? These things. The things that are in front of us. If there's wrong in front of us, then we should do what we can to make it right. We may not be in charge of the whole planet, but we are in, but we have the capacity to make a difference wherever we go, whatever we do. Jesus was on the move. Chapter 4, John 4, the woman at the well. He dealt with race and gender. Matthew 9, the tax collectors and prostitutes. There was such intense social prejudice there. Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman. Ethnic racism. Uh, uh, she was she was a foreigner. And in fact, he even told... Remember when he curses Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, he tells them, look, if Tyre and Sidon, that's where this woman was from... If they had seen the miracles you saw, they would have repented. In fact, he tells them, he said, it'll be better for Sodom than it will be for these for the cities that saw all his miracles. He was balancing things out. Um, the Canaanite woman, the Luke 
10, the, the, the Good Samaritan on dealing with racism. That story, we, we have no idea how what a slap in the face that was to everybody. Because everybody hated Samaritans. They knew those were the bad guys of the world. And here Jesus is holding them up as the good guy. What is he taking on? Racism. He's taking on prejudice. Matthew 8, the Italian soldier's faith. He was part of the Italian brigade. Well, did they have Italians back then? Yeah, they did. They were from Italy. Um, they were Roman soldiers, right? And nobody liked them. Everybody hated them. They were they were the, the, the uh, oppressors as far as the Jews were concerned. I mean, they were, they, they, were, they were an army invading their country. I mean, how bad is that? And people hated him. Jesus stood up for him, used him as a good example. Uh, Matthew 5, when he talks about an eye for an eye, about vengeance versus justice. Matthew 25, the rich man Lazarus, that, that because I didn't see it is no excuse. The rich man is held accountable even though he said he didn't realize it, right? He didn't, he didn't, first of all, he had to have seen it. The guy was at his door gate, at his gate. But, but some, but, but you can't, ignorance is no excuse, bottom line. Luke 14, the parable of the great banquet, you know, that, that, um, that he brings in the needy and the poor and the handicap and the, uh, all those that are, that are hurting. He's, he's, equalizing everything. And Luke 18, the parable of the widow who demanded justice from a judge, basically encouraging us to hang in there and keep 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 pushing for this justice, but that God hears that call. God hears that. And and the church, you know what the church did is proof of Jesus' involvement. I mean, the church Colossians 3:24 says, "Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism." You know, favoritism is what we would call prejudice. Favoritism is holding somebody up because they're your favorite and you think you're going to get more from them or because you just like them better. You know that, that not not favored, not favoring somebody because they're Jewish, or because they're not Jewish, or because they're white, or because they're black, or because of anything. No favoritism. In James two one through four, he says, "My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is like right between the eyes on on prejudice. Uh, Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And what I love about this is, okay, so this this is a no big deal statement today, right? Everybody's got statements of equality, and I believe in everybody. And if they didn't have one before, they've come up with one in the last couple of weeks um, of equality and, you know, non-discrimination and all this stuff. This statement was written 2,000 years ago when the world wasn't even thinking about this stuff. Why, why, what is this? This is showing you God's heart and how God is. 
There's not Jew or Gentile. There's not male or female. There's, he, he doesn't look at people like that, slave or free. I mean, the truth is, you know, most of the early church is said to have been slaves. The majority of the church. Why did they have sunrise services? It's the only time they could meet. Because slaves had to be at their stations bright and early in the morning. So the only time they could meet. Why did they meet in the catacombs? Because they weren't allowed to meet, and that was the only place they could meet. The, the, it was all, it was very challenging. The big thing is this, and we'll end, we'll end with this, and we can go have our fireworks and our barbecues. The kingdom of God, this is what Jesus came preaching. He's the Messiah. He came to usher in the kingdom of God. The truth is, I think a lot of times we don't, we don't really understand the kingdom of God. It is the place of justice and righteousness. It's all over the kingdom of God. It's the foundation. It is the foundation of God's throne, the Bible says. He says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This He's talking about Jesus. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. What is he establishing? Justice and righteousness. That we be fair, that we be right with each other. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The last vision that we get of Jesus in Revelation, I love that vision. And you know what it says is written on the side? Justice and righteousness. It's his name. It's what he'll be called. It's what he brings in, the conquering king. He brings justice and righteousness with him. So it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And we're learning right now what it is and how incredibly important it is. So as we celebrate, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, God, with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. I hope this has been educational and inspiring for you. If you'd like to know more, please join us by going to study.laicc.net and we'll be happy to contact you and help you in any way we can.